We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to morning, see you all. Scott. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. We're going to start off with financial planning. Yeah, financial planning. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> what a, who, who would have thought? How did we come up with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I said is financial planning first is it's kind of interesting. I, I was speaking with a client in the past week, and he says, well, you know, I have my stuff already with um, another bank. And mm. I said, well, that's interesting. Have they done any financial plan? Well, what do you mean? And he went on to say, I said, no, he looks after my investments. And, you know, once you get past a certain, th- certain threshold, I got a, a discount in my, my fees. Right. Which for every institution, including ourselves, we offer the same. Mm-hmm. As you pass certain thresholds, the fees decrease. In mm-hmm. fact, with Investors Group, or IG Wealth Management now, um, we actually go by family. So not only is it simply the immediate family, but your kids and Mm. grandkids can get the same fee structure as your parents and your grandparents. So we go two up and two down. That's a good idea. Yes, and this is actually fairly new within this year. And how what a great idea when you think about it, because you're bringing everybody in. Bringing everybody in. Yeah. And we've always been multi-generational. We've always said we want to help not only the, the grandparents, but the parents and the grandkids. Because mm-hmm. we, we try, we, at the end of the day, we're trying to keep as much money within the family. Yeah. Okay. And, and not to the tax man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when there's a state tax and so forth, we want to have all the generations there. Is there any planning we can do to avoid having 53% of it go to the government? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, when we say financial planning first, that's exactly what it is. And I know that you listeners, you've listened about financial planning, and yes, that's what we do. It's absolutely incredible how few people understand what financial planning is. It is not investment planning. Mm-hmm. It is all the other things which constitute a financial plan, and that would be insurance planning, cash flow management. I can't stress that enough. What's coming in? Where's it going? Is there areas that you can make it, you know, improvements on in there? Maybe not on the income coming in, but maybe on the way out, mm-hmm. okay? Unless you get another job, whatever. Um, but there's ways of getting income with, lo- with less tax, mm-hmm. which ends up with more money in your pocket. So a full financial plan incorporates all six parts of a financial plan and not simply the investment portion. Right. So with that in mind, I said, okay, what IG, IG has been around since 1926, totally Canadian-owned, and is part of the power financial group of companies, which own you know, Great West Life and Canada Life and others, and Power Power Corporation, one of the you know, very well-off companies. Uh, the Demarays are were the ones that started it. Mm-hmm. With the broken bus line, I think back in Sudbury, back uh, many, many years ago, as uh, Paul Demaray Sr., he's since passed away. His two kids are took over, and now their grandkids are starting to take over. Mm-hmm. So it's a big company that uh, certainly understands Canadians' needs. And with that, you take a look at the complete financial services that we offer, and this is kind of interesting. I don't know about you, Andy, but how many times do you hear it says, I didn't know you offered that. Mm-hmm. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, you do mortgages. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, oh yeah, I didn't know. I you always do. feel guilty when that, when that said, yes. I, do. I didn't ex- explain that to you. <laughs> yeah, I really. thought I had, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to you know, go to get you know some institution and get life insurance. Well, we we deal with the insurance side. Mm-hmm. You know, we deal with all the cornerstones. So I thought, you know, quickly go through some of the products that we do offer. And it starts with short-term things such as we all offer bank accounts. They're paying 2%. Mm-hmm. And you can have up to $100,000 in not only your name, but your spouse's name, 
and joint. Okay, so that's up to 300,000. Corporations actually go up to 200,000. You try to get a corporate account and I, they don't pay as quite as much, 1.6 for a corporate account, but most corporate accounts are paying zero or, or just above zero. Mm -hmm. it's so hard to get any money in a corporate account paying anything. So if you do own a corporation and you have it earmarked for something within the next year, but you're, you don't want to really put the money invested, but you still want to make some interest. What a great place to put it. Um, then there's the lending side. We offer with the, the mortgages loans and lines of credit and so our mortgage rates are, are super competitive as all of them are mm -hmm. okay um, but again with the the larger the client the better the deal they get again mm -hmm. not too different from other institutions but i gotta say we are very competitive and the flexibility of our mortgages is very good mm -hmm. and so it's uh, extremely competitive lines of credit these homeowner equity lines of credit i suggest you should almost everybody should have a yeah. line of credit it's a great way it's uh, for fraud. Uh, people do not want to have a lien on your house. It's so much harder to get identity fraud if there's already a lien on that house. Mm -hmm. Okay, for that alone, it's great to have it. But if you are a senior and all of a sudden your resources start to dwindle, well, you can always tap into line of credit and, and almost create that as like a, a reverse mortgage yeah. with a far greater, uh, you know, a far lesser interest rate mm -hmm. than if you were to get a reverse mortgage. And a lot of people are using those. A lot are, you're hearing a lot of uh, talk about those. Mm -hmm. uh, reverse mortgages are, are definitely more popular. They're about 2% higher than a line of credit. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't apply for a line of credit when you have no money. Yeah. So that's where reverse mortgage comes in. Mm -hmm. If you were planning this out a little bit better, got the line of credit 10 years Before, earlier, yeah. you would have it kind of in your back pocket for mm -hmm. if you did need it. Um, the income protection side, where there's life insurance, critical illness, long-term care, uh, all those issues, um, disability coverage, we offer all the products on the insurance side. And then, of course, all the investments, but you, you look at whether it's RSPs, RESPs, we've talked about last week, RDSPs, okay, disability savings plans, tax-free savings accounts. That's the one that always, uh, I still kind of get a bit of a chuckle. We'll go through how you should have a, a TFSA, and so many people still think, oh, okay, so do I go to the bank for that? Mm -hmm. Okay. They still, you know, we offer everything. It's just, it's so nice to have everything under one roof so I know the left hand's talking to the right hand. So you, you get it in terms of do you have the optimal amount in TFSAs versus RSPs versus RESPs? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as far as the investment, uh, you know, relationships we have, whether it's Investors Group or Fidelity and AGF and and BlackRock and T. Rowe Price. There, we have some of the best world-class managers there are. Jarolowski, Fraser. Really, at the, we try to get the best managers first, mm -hmm. and it comes down to trying to get the best performance. Yeah. Okay. So, in, in real, it's kind of funny. We've been both Andy and I. I've, I was eighty-five, and and Andy was nineteen eighty-four. So oh, we're I getting up there. You confuse me there. I thought, man, <laughs> yeah. you look pretty good for eighty-five. Yeah. Well, <laughs> So you're coming up to number 35th year. 35 coming. years next month. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Wow. And there was this thing back in 1985 for sure, and I'm sure in 84 they had <laughs> the same thing. It was the success pyramid. And we used that all the time back then. It's funny, that success pyramid has not changed hardly at all. Hmm. Um, it basically looks at how ready or how financially independent are you. And 13% of Canadians are ready, are extremely ready for retirement, mm -hmm. okay? 34%- Now, is this mentally or financially? <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. this is strictly financially. Oh, okay. Uh, mentally is a totally different topic. You're absolutely right, Scott, and it's funny. I, even though some are very ready for retirement financially, they keep working because 
they enjoy it mm-hmm. or they don't know what to do with themselves if they were to retire. Um, 34% are somewhat ready. That one's kind of scary because if you're somewhat ready, what about 10 years later? And we find that at 10 years after, half of that group actually falls into the not ready category mm. because of inflation. Right. Okay. There's 32% are not sure if they're ready or not ready. That was actually a little scary too because that just tells me there's, there's a whole group that don't, do not have a financial plan. Mm-hmm. If they had a financial plan, they wouldn't have that answer, not sure. Right. They would know, I'm definitely not ready or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I'm on track. You know, one of the two. And uh, 12% are not particularly ready and 9% say, I am not ready at all. Yeah. Okay. And uh, 87% of Canadian boomers feel they are not fully prepared for retirement. 87%. Hmm. And it really comes down to having a plan and following it. And it's uh, 36% of those same boomers probably said if they were to do it all over again, uh, they would start saving re- for retirement earlier. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, time machine. But yes, the earlier you start, the better. Mm-hmm. So um, t- as far as providing for family members, two in 10 baby boomers are concerned about saving for expenses related to aging parents. Hmm. Okay, as well as looking after their own needs. Tell me that that 20% of the boomers aren't affecting their own retirement. Yeah. Because they have to, you know, help out mom and dad. Yeah. Okay, and, it, and it's a, that's a real tough juggle. They, they think they're on track and all of a sudden that hits you. Hmm. Or they're in that sandwich gener- generation where they still have kids at home that are now coming into their early 30s, late 20s, and they're helping out their parents. Yeah. So that's a tough one too. Uh, 42% of Canadians agreed that reducing taxes is their most immediate goal. And it's interesting with, uh, you know, elections around the corner, we are currently in the highest tax brackets ever in Canada. And uh, you are starting to hear people talk about tax credits. And, mm-hmm. and I know uh, Shear is talking about lowering mm-hmm. um, the tax rate by 1.5%, I believe it was. So again, taxes is an issue. And so if it wasn't an issue, it wouldn't be talked about right now as as they're campaigning. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, protecting themselves, just over one in four 20-year-olds become disabled before they retire. Mm. So if you're a 20-year-old person and you do not have a disability program at work, there's one in four chance that you will have some disability before you retire and Mm. therefore will lose work. Right. Okay, pretty high odds. And this is where disability coverage, probably the biggest asset you should cover when you're young isn't life insurance. Uh, because perhaps you don't have any kids or anybody's financially dependent on you, it's disability. Yeah. And over 80% of mortgage foreclosures is due to a disability. Really? Yes, yeah, not a wow. death. Everybody's got this mortgage insurance, yeah. but all of a sudden you're disabled and you can't work. Your, your next thing you know is you, uh, you, you have to sell your house. So one in three Canadians, and this has not changed at all in the last few years, um, are losing sleep over their debt load right now. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting enough, last week I did notice that they have started to pay down some of that debt. Mm-hmm. You know, um, perhaps there's some talk of a recession and everybody starts to think, oh, better, I better hunker down. Yeah. And uh, perhaps, so it, it didn't drop by much. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's still very high, but there is a slight decline in the amount mm-hmm. of average debt per Canadian right now. And uh, the one is, uh, cho- what is the best vehicle you should choose in, in terms of financial vehicles, um, given your situation? And this is where it's very difficult. Should you get an RSP or a TFSA or RESP or RDSP, which very few people actually even understand or know about. 
And it's getting that right combination of those programs to optimize your particular situation. So I, it's kind of interesting when you take a, that's a really a, the job of a financial planner, okay, is when you look at all the different choices, given cash flow, given everything, what your needs and wants are, what are you really trying to accomplish? What mixture of assets should you have? And I had a, a interesting conversation with a client of mine that I got in 1986. So I had him from, well, he was a carpenter mm -hmm. to starting to have kids get married to grandkids. He's now selling his house. And now his biggest, his biggest uh, concern is paying too much tax at death. Yeah. And this is over a period of 32 years or 33 years rather. And it's interesting, we've gone through all those stages. So now we've just starting to make in more of an estate plan in the last week. And, and once he sells the house, we're gonna continue with that. But again, all the stages mean there's a different plan and mm -hmm. we're just gonna start a new plan now. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about the role of a financial planner. Yes, and it uh, continues here. And, and one of the things of a financial planner is it, it's tough to be a do-it yourselfer mm -hmm. keeping up takes time yeah like the fact you're listening to the show right now mm -hmm. means that you're spending up to an hour if you listen yeah. to the whole show and getting some tidbits from andy and i on maybe how it could affect your situation in a positive way fantastic Gr great to have you listening but the rules keep changing and and whether it's uh you know, managing your debt, what's the best route, and, and what's good for one person, not necessarily the best for another. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, should you get your CPP at 60? Well, normally I'd say no, mm -hmm. but if you're a smoker male, I would say, yeah, you might want to, or if there's some health concerns, or what about um, if has your wife or husband maximized their CPP? There's other things that go into it. It's just not a, a blanket answer, yeah. okay? Um, interest rates concerns, what, what should we do there? Markets, the pensions, changing rules. Like talk about tax rules. If uh, once, you know, we're hearing all sorts of promises right now by different candidates, but uh, you know, one, one I really like actually is perhaps is, is Shear right now. Andrew Shear is talking about 30% grant rather than a 20% grant to the RESP, mm. okay? So if you put $1,000 into an RESP, instead of getting $200, you get $300. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you're getting any extra at the end of the day. Like there's 7,200 is the maximum that the government will give to each mm -hmm. student in grant. So I don't believe they're gonna increase that. But what it does do is you have to put more money in. You have to put in less money mm -hmm. to you get the grant. Right. And what a great way. So if we can maximize that grant quicker, then that leaves that money sitting there growing for a lot longer time ending and with more money for the student eventually. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it, we take the time and this is uh, an ongoing, whether it's we have to have 40 hours of education credits every year just to keep our CFP. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of time. So, and this is all about trying to get the clients the right answers for their situation. Mm -hmm. So you look at trying to face the realities and find your own opportunities 
there's really all these different stages in a person's life. So right away, I, it was kind of interesting. I got to speak to my daughter's friend, and I've known this this girl from grade seven and up, and now she is a pharmacist, yeah. and she's out her own. And she, she she came to me two years ago and said, "What should I do?" I said, "You need a second job." Yeah. And I said, "What do you mean?" She did not like that answer, just yeah. like that yeah. <laughs> that pause you gave me, Scott. Yeah. Same thing she said. I said, "You know what? If you can get a second job, then you get this this done and this done, even if it's one day a week." Got to give her full kudos. She went and got that second job. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't fun. She did it for a couple of years. Student loans all paid off. Off she's gone. Uh, and now she's having a real appointment. How do I save her house? Mm-hmm. Now, had she not have sat down with me, she did all the work. I just yeah. gave her the idea. Right. But had she not, that wouldn't have triggered. And that would have postponed paying off that debt for at least a year, if not two. Mm-hmm. And that postpones getting that house, which mm-hmm. the house prices may have continued to rise. Yeah. And it's just the... It just keeps the rolling. It's the domino effect of one decision. Mm-hmm. So with a single adult, you look at savings, paying off, you know, just trying to save and paying off debt is, is very crucial. Then you get into the young couple stage and you got dual income, no kids. Mm-hmm. What a great time to save. Yeah. And possibly insurance planning at that time too, especially disability coverage as we talked about. Young families. Okay, now you definitely need insurance because mm-hmm. you are dependent on each other. You got probably a big mortgage and how do you pay off that mortgage? And then what if you do want kids? How do you plan for that? And that's mm-hmm. part of the things an, a financial planner does. Then you get the established family and you think, okay, can we afford the Disney trip or not, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and it's education planning, um, accelerated debt redu- reduction. And what type of savings should we do? Should it be TFSA, RSP, RD, RESP, okay? Then you get the empty nesters, and that's where I and uh, Andy, I guess, is also c- currently there. Yeah. And it's like, okay, perfect. Uh, now what? Mm-hmm. And it's like business succession planning, tax strategy. Now maybe help, helping the kids, or can we help the kids? And then mature adults, estate planning, charitable giving, and tax income planning. Every stage has a different plan. Mm. It's not a one-shoe-fit-all type of plan, and it doesn't work that way. So when you look at this, how does this fare when you have a financial planner going over your situation? What's, does it make a difference? Well, Ibsen Reed has gone through all this data and apparently it's made a difference. Well, and I, you know, when I think about the financial plan and I have to ask myself, well, and as, as a listener, y- you'll know if you have a financial plan or you don't have a financial, yeah. financial plan. Do you have a written document? By how much you sweat at night. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> That's definitely one of them. <laughs> or how little you sleep at night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but we call it the IG living plan. And just like Don described, as you think about the different stages of someone's financial life, a living plan means that it's changing, it's evolving, mm-hmm. and it has to because, as Don said, tax rules mm-hmm. change, the, situ- the economic climate changes, your life changes, different stages of your life and different situations. So the IG living plan is sort of the foundation of the financial planning process because it gives you a document that you can uh, measure, you can do some planning with, and you can begin to create uh, more opportunities through that plan. And in the IG Living Plan, we are now at the point where we're able to put that and make it accessible to clients online. So now not only do they, in the past where we provided a written plan that was something that they kept for the next for one year and, and probably updated 
another year. Now you can actually look at it and engage in the process on an ongoing basis online. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to create some more, I think, um, confidence in terms of people's retirement and their planning and meeting their goals. Mm-hmm. And so then we take the IG Living Plan and we build that into something that we call your financial well-being or your financial well-being score. And really the, the financial well-being score in combination with the, the living plan is really, it's, it's tells us how capable you are of meeting your goals mm-hmm. and everybody has different goals and they will, they would be outlined in the plan and, and targets or weightings depending on the priority of those goals. So if you don't have, um, a written financial plan that outlines all the components of your financial life, if it's not something that's being updated on a regular basis for you to, to reflect the changes in your life and and the rules, then you don't have a financial plan. Mm -hmm. And so too often, uh, I think that people get afraid or we get stuck in our, the way we're doing things. There's no doubt about it. And I often think about that when I look at, uh, how sticky things like bank accounts are, you know, we end up creating so many things that go in and out, bill payments, automatic things, our payroll goes into our bank account. And so the effort to change our bank account Mm. just seems like too much to bother. Good point. So we'll just stick with it. I'm paying my fees or whatever I'm doing and it's, it's pretty good and we're managing that way. So when I think about a financial plan at, at all the different levels associated with that, it tends to be, well, I've got a, my money here, it's invested there, I've talked to this person and I've got it all figured out. But at the same time, um, they really don't have a plan that outlines the strategies and what's going to be done on an ongoing basis. So the, the value of an advisor is something that I find so interesting and it's important to understand what does it mean to work with an advisor and how is that going to benefit you and improve your financial well-being going forward too? And so um, there was a study, I just read this last week and uh, done by Russell Investments. It was a study they released in May of, t- of 2019, May of this year, and they do it every year. And they analyze the investment value or the 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 the, the advisor, the, the value of an advisor in terms of a percentage. And so in Canada today, they estimate that the value of an advisor to your investments and your portfolio gain is 2.79%. So let's call it 2.8% just for round figures. So 2.8%. Now, if you assume that, um, on average, probably an advisory fee is 1%. Mm-hmm. So really what that means is that an advisor is helping you advance your financial well-being by about 1.8% per year. And that can add up to a lot of money. So I was thinking about my career over 35 years. Mm-hmm. If I was working with somebody over a 35-year period, and that was the average improvement that we could add through the planning process, if you had a $500,000 RSP portfolio, that's going to mean in essence around, and I wrote the numbers down here, over 30 years, about $354,000 of additional value that's been added to your personal net worth. Mm. And when they they decided how do we arrive at that number, 2.8% for the value of an advisor, they really looked at five key factors. And the factors have evolved a little bit over the years. Uh, and some have more weightings than others, depending on the year in, in question. But the five categories would be, uh, number one is the annual rebalancing. Mm. 
So this is the, the impact your advisor meeting with you, reviewing your asset allocation model for your investment portfolio, and then making recommendations to rebalance that portfolio so that you sort of stick to the recipe. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a recipe, if you're cooking, you don't want to change the amount of ingredients that you have. You've yeah. got to stay consistent. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get a, a weird outcome mm-hmm. when you put in your results. So the same thing is true with an investment portfolio. Stick to the recipe. And so that process of rebalancing adds about 0.2% of the 2.8% in total per year. The second one is behavioral mistakes. And behavioral mistakes are those emotional decisions that people are are making when it comes to their finances, Mm -hmm. right? So it could be uh, buying something on credit or or having too much de- taking on too much debt it could be uh, fear of market cycles and you know bu- buying low sorry selling low and and buying high mm-hmm. those types of behaviors that can have a dramatic impact on your overall result that particular category uh, uh, counts for 0.8 percent almost uh, a third of the total a uh, 2.8 percent that an advisor is adding to your value uh, The next one is cost of basic investment only management. So cost of the basic investment only management. So over the last five years plus, we've seen a rise of things like robo-advisors and that type of thing, which which drove down the cost of an investment only portfolio. Right. So no other advice, just an investment portfolio. And um, what's actually happened is that the robo-advisors have discovered that they can't provide, they can't make a profit at the prices that they were offering for Mm -hmm. these types of services. And so we actually see the costs for robo-advisors are going up right now. So they have to stay profitable, otherwise they'll be out of business. But the cost of basic investment only management counts for about 0.35%. And then uh, the next category would be planning costs and services. So planning costs could be everything from, as Don talked about, estate planning, a review of someone's tax um, uh, estate plan. It could be a review of someone's insurance and what needs to be put in place Mm -hmm. to protect them for insurance. Uh, It could be just the basic discussions about when do I take Canada pension plan and Mm -hmm. all the nuances around that. Do I defer? Do I take it early? Huge decision. A huge decision, right? Mm -hmm. So the planning and cost of services counts for 0.8% as well. It's about the same value as the behavioral mistakes. And then the fifth category is tax-efficient planning and investing. And this has been the fastest growing area in the last five years where the the area for most improvement, actually, and that comes back to, as I said, reviewing someone's tax return. Does your financial planner ask to see your tax return each year? Mm-hmm. Do they review it? Do they look at your notice of assessments? If you have a if you have a business, if you're incorporated, do they look at your corporate tax returns to identify any opportunities that might exist, whether it's your capital dividend account, shareholder loans, the way you're paying out dividends or salary? There's a number of different strategies that are going to improve your financial situation under tax-efficient planning. I would argue that if your financial planner does not ask for your tax return, he is not a, or she is not a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. that is a key document to help for any of the planning that we do. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I'm almost lost without it. If they show up to the office and they forgot it, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, could you send, you know, email it to me when you get back? Cause I have to make some decisions based on that. Everything's a guess otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, being a CFP certified financial planner means that you have to commit to that process of reviewing taxes. And if you're not, you're not doing your due diligence mm-hmm. for sure. So, um, so those are the key five factors in terms of measuring the value of an advisor. And, uh, and over time, that 1.8% can make an enormous impact in terms of the value of your net worth going forward. And so I think that, that if you feel, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, confidence or if you can feel like you're sort of a self, uh, do-it-yourselfer mm-hmm. and you're able to handle a lot of the aspects of your financial life, it might be an area where you, it might be some areas where you have a lot of um, confidence and expertise. Maybe it's the investment side. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been managing your investments forever, but, um, and, and you've built a lot of confidence around that. But are they tax efficient? Have you set that up for, um, to minimize your tax going forward? Are they going to be efficient in terms of your retirement plan? Will they be able to produce the income that you need and in a tax-efficient basis? Are they efficient in terms of inflation? Are you beating inflation on an ongoing basis? Are you taking on too much risk, too little risk? Uh, what about geographic diversification? And then all the other nuances of your financial well-being. And when we think about someone's financial well-being, we always think about the, the six different categories, your your optimizing your retirement, number one, planning for any major expenditures, number two. Number three is preparing for the unexpected, so in case of an illness or an injury or premature death. Sharing your wealth, which is your capacity to either uh, pass on to the next generation or to mm-hmm. give to charity. Uh, maximizing your business potential and opportunity. So if you have your own business, how to how to best deal with that. And finally, um, managing your cash flow effectively. How much debt do you have? What are your saving patterns? And are you on top of that on an ongoing basis? So we use a system where we measure how someone's financial well-being, we call it the financial well-being score, how capable they are of meeting their goals. And the key one I'll talk about, which is optimizing your retirement, It comes down to three categories or three components to understanding your score when it comes to optimizing your retirement. The first one is goal coverage, and we use something called the Monte Carlo analysis. And this is a uh, a stress test to your investments to understand will they have be able to hold you and take you through the ups and downs of market conditions and you'll still be able to have a confident retirement. Number two is the goal appropriateness. And so what we look at there is that you could you could tweak your score by saying, oh, I only need 50% of my income when I retire to live, you know, but generally most people need about 80% of their pre-retirement income to be able to live. So that's a starting point when we think about, is it an appropriate goal? And the third third portion is plan optimization. We want to make sure that people are looking at RRSPs, tax-free savings plans, annuities, pensions, all of those come into optimizing your retirement result. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com talking about the results of working with a good financial planner yes at the end of the day i know andy's gone through all these things and how it adds 2.7 percent 
to the you know, as in terms of your rate of return. But what is the actual result? How much more money do you have? You know, it's it's one thing to talk about it, and we got this plan and everything else. But do you actually fare off? How much more do you have? And it's actually interesting. I, I've got all sorts of ways this has been kind of cut and pasted along the way. But one that was recently in this one article, um, fall of this year actually, and it's uh, it looked at okay, does advice really pay? And this is a uh, current. This is January 2018. This poll was taken, and it looked at the financial assets of Canadians with an advisor or with, without an advisor. So, if you've just been working with an advisor between four and six years, so you just kind of just got getting your feet wet more or less, you have 1.7 times more money. So, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, if you didn't have an advisor, and you'd think you'd be doing just fine, mm-hmm. you would have 170,000 mm-hmm. if you had been working with an advisor. And this is the part that people don't see. If I see a client had a million dollars, they say, wow, look how well I've done. Well, how much more would they have done had they been working with an advisor all the way through? Yeah. Okay. So then they carried that on a little further. Well, that's, you know, great, four to six years. What about if you had an advisor seven to 14 years? How much more difference? Maybe, you know, the this, this do-it-yourself or maybe using um, the less expensive alternative because it's kind of interesting. A lot of the commercials you see now are really trying to, gearing on fees, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there's some really good commercials, I got to say, but at the end of the day, are they actually helping Canadians? Do they have more money at the end of the day? Well, working with an advisor between seven and 14 years, so they had this fairly big span, the average Canadian had 2.9 times more financial assets. So call it triple. Mm-hmm. So if you had 500,000 after seven to 14 years, you'd have 1.5 million had you been working with an advisor. And I can tell you, as a matter of fact, I look at my clients that we've been working with for over 30 some odd years now, and I know some of them said, well, there's no way I will have money because my dad didn't have money and my parents. And I said, well, that's not the attitude you've got got to have, (laughs) okay? Don't follow their mistakes, let's start fresh. And here they are and they got over a million dollars with me now. These are people I went to university with. Mm -hmm. And then, if you had been 15 years or greater with an advisor, you have 3.9 times the financial assets. So had you done everything well, great saver, but you got caught up in a lot of things Andy just talked about, whether it's a behavior gap, following emotion, making the odd error here and there. How much does it cost you? Well, you, I don't know, but you know they say, I did well, I had a million dollars. You would have had 3.9 million on average. Some did better, some did worse. 3.9 million had they had an advisor. So having the value of advice is enormous. So Ibsen Reed, they're actually trying to figure out um, unbiasedly, should they, you know, should there even be advisors? You know, there was a, uh, Australia and uh, UK went through this whole thing about commissions and all these things. And, and really what it did, it hurt a lot of the individuals there because they couldn't find advisors anymore. And so they, they said, okay, well, what does actually happen? So they look at the value of advice with the age. So if you're 45 and under, the average amount of assets was 3.2 times if you had an advisor. If you're between 46 and 54, you had 2.7 times. 55 to 64, you had 5.3 times. That's a huge one there. So here you are in the peak earning years between 55 and 64. And the average Canadian had 46,462 if they did not have an advisor. And if they had an advisor, they had 246,000. Massive difference simply by having an advisor. 
okay? And over 65, and now they're starting to dwindle their assets now. They're starting to use those assets. Well, what would you rather have? 66,000 or 272,000? Mm. It was 4.1 times the difference. So they looked at all the age categories and every age category having an advisor made a ton of difference. So then they said, well, maybe it's just income. Maybe we just happen to pick the ones that had a certain income bracket regardless of their ages. So they said, okay, well, let's look at income now. So they looked at the income brackets and if you made between 35,000 and 56,000, the average Canadian had about 27,000 without an advisor, 125,000 if they had an advisor, 4.6 times. So the lower income people obviously fared pretty good. They had a lot more assets. Well, what about kind of in the next step, 55,000 to 70? 6.8 times the money, mm. okay? Six point, almost seven times the net worth because they had an advisor. This is a big category of that 55 to 70,000 range. 29,000 without an advisor, 197,000 if they had an advisor. Um, if you look at the next bracket, uh, 70,000 to 100,000. Um, you know, th th maybe they're thinking, I don't need an advisor. Well, it turns out 3.7 times the amount of assets. 44,000 versus 164,000. Well, what about the real rich? And I don't mean, it could be, and 100,000 isn't rich anymore in terms of income, but it's a pretty good income still. If you look at people that make over 100,000, and that could be people that are making 300,000, it doesn't matter. The, the ones that did it on their own had 138,000. The ones that had advisors had a 214,000. There was still a 1.6 times in terms of the amount of investable assets they have. So it didn't matter how you sliced or diced, whether it was based on income, based on age, um, just a fact or just a time with an advisor, no matter which case, advice made sense. And this is not um, biased um, polling. This is Ipsit Reed that was actually just trying to find out, does it make sense to even have an advisor? And turned out to their surprise, just how much difference it made. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Uh, last segment. Who will speak for you? Who is going to speak for you when you can't? Yeah. Your power of attorney, right? And uh, and the power of attorney, you know, it's funny. Over the course of the, the summer and we had listeners contacting us through our website. <clears throat> and one of the questions that seemed to come up over and over again was about estate planning power of attorneys and questions around that. I think we scared, scared. Uh, we put the fear of God into a few people about, uh, <laughs> yeah, about of, the 53.53% yeah. yes. tax well, that, uh, death. That should scare a lot of people. I know. And uh, so we got suddenly a flurry of questions and concerns and uh, client and p p uh, people that wanted to meet with us to talk about their estate plan. And, um, and, and, and back at the beginning, sorry, in, in June, I remember, I don't know if pe listeners remember, I got a call from a client of mine who is in her 90s, and she basically called me to tell me that she was dying. Mm. And she had met with her doctors, her health had deteriorated, 
And um, and at the time when we talked about it, she wanted to make sure that her plans were in place mm-hmm. and that her wishes were going to be fulfilled as she had imagined. Yeah. And so we went through all of that and she was quite satisfied. But at the same time, um, we had already put on the account her power of attorney, which was her daughter and her son. So that meant that if if her capacity failed and she was no longer able to communicate or anything like that, that uh, her son and daughter would be able to take over as power of attorney. And um, and it's I think power of attorneys are it's a really interesting topic and it's a tricky one because I've seen motivations, good motivations and bad motivations from powers of attorney mm-hmm. all the way through my career. And um, and the first thing you want to do is just pull that document out, take a look at it. And read the very first several lines and you'll find out, do I have a general power of attorney or do you have a continuing power of attorney? If you have a general power of attorney, what that means is that your attorneys can now take over, in this case, the son and daughter right away, no problem at all. And that that gives them the authority to then act on your behalf. And we'll talk about what they can do in a second. But as soon as you become incapacitated or you lose mental capacity to make decisions, that ends. The general power of attorney ends. Mm -hmm. And so now you're stuck. And so what you want to make sure you've got is a continuing power of attorney. There are times where when general power of attorney makes sense, maybe you've gone to Florida for six months. What's the sense of having it then if you become incapacitated and then can't use it? I mean, that's not the whole idea. Yeah, but the general power of attorney is is usually for a specific period of time or a specific event. You might give someone a general power of attorney to, say, deal with selling your home. You might give someone general power of attorney to deal with um, while you're away on vacation or in Florida for six months of the year, but it ends or it might have a period of time, but you're not concerned about capacity. You're just concerned about getting your financial, keeping your financial affairs in order. So just make sure you have a continuing power of attorney. It might be called an enduring power of attorney or a durable power of attorney. And again, I I always recommend that that be done by a lawyer and we're we're not lawyers. So again, everything that we talk about here is in general, and you need to think about your specific situation with respect to your lawyer. Uh, and in discussions with your lawyer. So what can your attorney do? So in the case of the son and daughter, um, they can certainly look take over a range of tasks on a, on a client's behalf, such as managing day-to-day banking, signing checks, uh, buying or selling real estate, even borrowing money. And uh, But they have to remember that all that property and money continues to belong to you. You're just delegating that, uh, that authority to manage it. So it's important to make sure that they continue to do things as you would do them. Mm-hmm. What they can't do is they can't change your will. They can't change any beneficiaries. They can't change your life insurance plans. They can't make a new power of attorney. So there's a number of things that they, that they certainly can't do. And you have to make sure, do I have the right person? And a lot of times people will point powers of attorney and they never tell the person and they find out, (laughs) you know, after the fact that they're now power of attorney. And we're finding that not so much as with power of attorney, but certainly with executors, that people are becoming more and more reluctant. And some provinces are now even requiring that a power of attorney signs something Mm -hmm. confirming that they've been told about it and that they agree to do it. Yeah. And I think that's an important move, uh, but it adds another layer that might stop people from getting it done. Mm -hmm. So um, when it comes to uh, picking the right person, you know, is he or she willing to be your power of attorney? Can you trust the person with your finances? Are they reliable? Do they live nearby? Are they easy to contact and readily available? 
do they have a good understanding of your financial matters or financial matters in general? Uh, are there any financial health or family challenges that may interfere with their duties? And does he or she have the time to dedicate to being your attorney? Because it can be a, a lot involved depending on the situation. So, um, and then the question is, do I have one or should I have more? And um, the problem with, um, with one, uh, the pro and con, the, the con is that uh, one person now is making decisions. Yeah. And so we don't want them to be uh, a biased decision. Mm-hmm. And there are always biases, but at the end of the day, it has to be based on the, individual, the, the person who gave that, that. What would they do? Having two power of attorneys means that uh, less risk of fraudulent activity, for sure, mm-hmm. because both people have to sign off or right. agree to make any changes. And then finally, you want to make sure that you have a successor or an alternate attorney who can step in if the first attorneys no longer can do it or, or don't want to do it. So speak with your financial What planner. happens if you find out by surprise that you're someone's power of attorney and you were never consulted and you don't want to do it? Then what happens? You can relinquish. You're hoping that they have an alternate mm-hmm. named in the power of attorney. In, in that case, you can relinquish your uh, responsibilities to the alternate. And if the alternate doesn't take it, or if you're stuck and you don't have anybody at all, what we've done here at IG Wealth Management is mm-hmm. we've uh, partnered with a company called Concentra Trust. Say that again, Concentra Trust, you can Google them, and they are an excellent alternative to be able to add on as a power of attorney. There's sort of a fee involved, but it would be well worth it for the peace of mind. All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks. We'll Thanks. see you next Scott. week.